Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Let me extend this morning my greetings to all of you who are here today for this wonderful, wonderful day of celebration. I'm proud of these graduates and thank God that in his providence he brought them here and now is sending them out uh, across this nation and around the world. And so as they go today, I want to put before you a challenge of running the race that is set before you. Two weeks ago, tomorrow, Saturday afternoon, as millions were gathered around the television set to watch college football, suddenly the Google search engine lit up. And going to the top of the list of what was being searched out was a biblical reference. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2. The reason that took place was because a football player in Florida, and I need to be fair this morning before I go on in light of the necessity for full disclosure. I am a Georgia Bulldog fan. I believe the Florida Gators uh, are the evil empire, but um, I know some of you now love me and some of you hate me. But, um, you know, anyway, I am a big Tim Tebow fan and Tim Tebow had beneath his eyes Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Now, if you were watching the game, you know that Vern Lundquist, first of all, got it wrong and looked up Hebrews 12:11 and read that on uh, national television, which was just fine with me. Uh, that verse reads, now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Uh, probably a good verse for these graduates today, I would submit. <laughs> But then he was informed that he had read the wrong scripture. And so he went back and did as I suspected that he would do. He read Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He didn't read verse 2. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I would want to include verse 3 for our consideration quickly this morning. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You know, the Bible is fond of the images of athletics. We find in it uh, illustrations from uh, boxing and from from wrestling, but also running. Uh, Running is often a metaphor that you find in the Bible that describes uh, what the Christian life is like. And here in Hebrews, I believe the author has a very particular race in mind because he says in verse one, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. That word endurance will occur in each of the three verses. 
And so what he is saying to us is that following Jesus and running in this thing called the Christian race is not a sprinter's race. Uh, it's not even an intermediate distance race. It, it's, it's a marathon. The fact is, though I know many of you feel like you have just come through a marathon, uh, you've just turned perhaps for most of you the first quarter of your race. A marathon is 26 miles, 385 yards, and so if that analogy holds, you're, you're just a little over six miles uh, into the race that God has called you to run, if indeed He gives you a normal lifespan, although we can't assume that, can we? Uh, many of us this week are praying uh, vigilantly for our friend Matt Chandler, who has been diagnosed with brain cancer. He's 35 years old. And now his life may be cut short apart from the intervention of God. And so we recognize that we can't count on having 80 years or 70 years. What we can count on is that God has mapped out for every one of us an individual race. He has a particular place and a particular assignment and a particular length of ministry for every one of us. And so the key for us then is to understand how is it that I can run well in this race. And these words this morning are particularly for these graduates, but I would want to challenge you this morning to listen in as well, because if you're here today and you are a believer, uh, you're running in a race called the Christian race, and God has a particular place and a particular plan for you. And if it happens to be that you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, the fact is we could still talk about life for all of us like a race. Uh, You've been running for a while. You, You hope to keep running for a while longer. But what does it mean to run in a race without Jesus? And what does it mean to run in a race with Jesus? There's all the difference in the world. And so what I would want us to understand today is how is it that we can run this race that is set before us and run it well. Well, first of all, I think the text teaches us this. You need to find encouragement as you run. The Bible says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I think he's looking back to Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith, these men and women that have already run in the race. And he is saying to us, you're not a lone ranger. Sometimes you feel like you're out there by yourself, but there are others who are running the race with you and there are others who've run the race before you. Now, some who are running the race now and who've run the race in the past, oh my goodness, they have done some rather incredible things uh, for the glory of God. In fact, he says in chapter 11 and verse 32, what uh, more shall I say? Time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets who through their faith. Subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises. Some stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness, they were made strong. They became valiant in battle. They turned to flight the armies of foreigners and women received their dead, raised to life again. Now, that's pretty cool. Uh, that, that's pretty incredible. Uh, in fact, I suspect everyone in this room this morning, if I could guarantee you that that's what it would be like to follow Jesus, you would say, where do I sign? Put my name on the dotted line. And the fact is, God does work like that in the lives of some people. But there are others who have a different calling from God. There are others who get a different race that is set before them. So the author continues, but others were tortured. Others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, tempted, slain with the sword. 
They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. But verse 39 stands out for me, my brothers and sisters, because listen to what the Word of God says. All of these obtained a good testimony through their faith. All of them. And you see, in ministry, let's just cut to the chase real quickly. Sometimes in ministry, you are on the mountaintop. And it's not all that hard to serve Jesus when you're up there. But sometimes you find yourself in the valley. Sometimes the water begins to rise and it's uh, at uh, the edge of your nose and you don't know if you're going to be able to make it. It's hard. It's difficult. Uh, As verse 3 says, you can become weary and discouraged. And yet the Bible says these brothers and sisters are in the Word of God as an encouragement to you and to me to hang in there. Stay with it. Don't drop out of the race. Why? Because Jesus is faithful. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will say that in the next chapter. And so when the times are hard and when the times are difficult, don't think, well, God has been caught by surprise. You may be caught by surprise. God is never caught by surprise. He planned it in advance. You you say, God planned in advance for me these hard, difficult, trying moments. He certainly did. It was a part of the race that he has set before you and the word of God says others have already run. They crossed the finish line and they heard from the father. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So you stay in the race and find encouragement. But now, secondly, he also says there are some essentials that you need to bring alongside of you if you're going to run this race well. And we find three of them in chapter 12 in verse one, where he says, first of all, lay aside every weight. Secondly, lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. And thirdly, run with endurance the race that is set before you. Lay aside every weight. Get rid of anything that could weigh you down and slow you down and keep you from running your best for Jesus. Uh, I used to um, run quite a bit. In fact, when I was a seminary student, uh, I ran in the White Rock Marathon in Dallas, Texas in December, about this time of the year on a Saturday morning. And over the next several years, I continued to run on a fairly regular basis. And one day when I had come home from church, I was going to go outside uh, to run. And uh, my youngest son, Timothy, who has recently graduated from this school and been serving the Lord overseas uh, for the last two and a half years, uh, he came up into the bedroom and he noticed as I was getting ready to go outside and run that I'd taken off all of my clothes and I'd put on a T-shirt. I'd put on some nylon running shorts. And so he said, uh, Daddy... Uh, How come you took off your underwear and you didn't put any back on? I said, well, uh, sweetheart, these are uh, running shorts. They're they're like swimming trunks. Uh, They have their underwear inside of them. And he said, well, I'd I'd like to see. (laughs) So I took them off and I handed them to him and he looked at them for a few moments, gave them back to me. And he said, I don't see any underwear in there, Daddy. Well, I did what dads often do. I said, well, son, take daddy's word for it. There's underwear in there. Now, you go play. I've got things to do. And I I sent him out of the room. Well, those of you who are here this morning who are parents uh, have had the joy that I've had over the years. And that is this. Our children sometimes pay absolutely no attention to what we say. But they always pay attention to what we do. 
So a few weeks later, we were getting ready to go to church, and my wife, Charlotte, was getting the four boys dressed, and so she'd gotten Timothy dressed first, and she was now working on, uh, on uh, Paul and, and Jonathan and Nathan, and without saying a word to us, Timothy goes upstairs to his bedroom, and he slides off his shoes, he takes off his pants, he takes off his underwear, he puts his pants back on, he puts his shoes back on, comes downstairs, never says a word to us, we go to church. Later, we would learn to our eternal horror (laughs) that after we dropped him off in his four-year-old preschool room, his teacher, as she always did, came over, gave him a big hug, and she said, Timothy, sweetheart, how are you doing today? And he looked up at her and he said, I'm just fine. I don't have any underwear on. (laughs) My daddy doesn't wear underwear, and I don't wear underwear either. There's so many things I could say right now, but let me just say this. Number one, I do have my underwear on this morning. You'll just have to take that by faith, by the way. Secondly, you probably think, well, when you go to run now, big boy, I bet you wear your underwear. Uh, No. If I'm going to go out and run A 5K race, that's 3.1 miles, or a 10K, that's 6.2 miles, or that marathon, 26 plus miles? No. I'm going to run as lightly and cleanly and unencumbered as I possibly can. I don't want anything in my, on my body that's not absolutely necessary. Guys, wasn't that a clear lesson in ministry? You've got to run cleanly. You've got to get rid of excess baggage. You've got to get rid of weight. You've got to put away things that can weigh you down and keep you from running your best for Jesus. Now, let me say this and I'll move on. That means sometimes putting away some good things that you might be able to pursue the best things. Listen to me. I don't care how brilliant or gifted any one of you is. None of you does everything well. You, you, you just don't. We're, we're none of us. There's only one that did everything well, and his name was Jesus. So what you need to do is focus on the things you do well. You need to focus on the things that really do matter most. I'm praying that you have a great commission heart and that you will be a part of a great commission church. I believe that has to be at the forefront of everything that you do. And if that is indeed the case, then there are a lot of good things in life and ministry that you could do. But you set them aside because you've got to run cleanly. You've got to run with confidence. He says, lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. I believe because of the context, I'll use hermeneutics here, the science of biblical interpretation. I believe because of the context, the sin that you have to lay aside is the sin of unbelief. Hebrews 11 precedes Hebrews 12. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You say, but but Danny... You're saying a a Christian, a a minister of the gospel could be guilty of unbelief? I think many are. Because unbelief can afflict a Christian just like it paralyzes a non-Christian. And it can slip into your life and you begin to doubt the faithfulness of God. You begin to doubt the goodness of God. You begin to think, you know, I do need the Lord plus. And when you add that plus sign to the equation, it does not matter how you fill in the blank. You've now moved into the world of unbelief. I want you to have the heart of Job. 
Job said in chapter 13 and verse 15 of the book that bears his name, speaking of God, though he slay me, I will still trust in him. Thirdly, you've got to run the race with consistency. He says, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Now, you guys are specialists. You guys can eavesdrop, but this is for you. If statistics are accurate, ten years from now, somewhere between 35 and 45 percent of you will no longer be in the ministry. You will have dropped out, fallen by the wayside. Oh, you've, you've started well. And today is a great milestone in your life. And I am so proud of you. I am so happy for you. But I want to ask you a question that I pray will come back to your heart and mind again and again and again and again. Five years from now, where will you be? Ten years from now, 20 years from now, 40 years from now, if God is so kind, 50 or 60 years from now, where will you be and what will you be doing? Adrian Rogers is my hero. Probably the greatest man I ever met. And I remember him saying that on one occasion, one of his boys came to him and said, Daddy, you have run the race so well. Please finish well. Please finish well. And I pray that you will run with endurance and that you will finish well. So you say, how do I do that? Yeah, I've got some encouragement around me, and yeah, I understand kind of the game plan that God lays out here, but but how do I do do that? Well, the author of Hebrews says, finally, there's an example that you need to follow. And it's in that verse 2 that Vern Lundquist failed to read. Looking unto Jesus. Why? He's the author and finisher of faith. He gets you in the race. He gets you to the finish line. You say, but... How do we know that he's up to such an assignment? The text tells you who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. It amazes me to realize that God called his son to run in a race. The heavenly father crafted and designed providentially a race for his son, his beloved son. And what did that race involve? A cross. Now, if God called his son to run in a race that took him to Calvary, the odds are you and I will not be called to run that difficult of a race. And he was faithful to finish and he will be faithful to get you to the finish line as well. Indeed, the Bible says in verse three, you think about him, you consider him so that you do not grow weary or discouraged. If if I were paraphrasing it, I would say so that you don't become discouraged depressed and drop out of the race. I'm 52 years old now. I've been in the ministry for 31 years. And this is specifically for you, but this is for all of you. You listen to me this morning, because I know some of you that are here today. You're, you're not a Christian. You've never trusted Christ. And the reason, at least in part, that you haven't is you've been hurt. There was a, a man who professed to be a Christian who lied to you. There was a woman who claimed to follow Jesus and she let you down. There was a minister that you looked up to and he failed morally and broke your heart and embittered you. And so because of some experience in the past with some man or woman who claimed to follow Christ, you you never came to Jesus. And this day you sit here today lost 
your eternal destiny is not a good one. Let me say two things to all of you and then one thing specifically to this group as well. First of all, I apologize for the times you've been let down by those who claim to follow Jesus. It happens far too often where we say one thing with our confession, but we live in another way and we lie and we cheat and we betray. And I'm so sorry that that happened to you. I, I apologize to you. And I would ask that God would somehow work in your heart that that bitterness could be set aside and could be done away with. But now you listen to me. Please hear me. Men and women, even those who claim to be in ministry, may fail you or let you down. But Jesus never will. Jesus Christ will never lie to you. He will never break his word. He will never fail you. If you come to him today as your savior, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. You will say that this Friday in December in the year 2009 was a wonderful day to celebrate this graduation. But it was even a more wonderful day because it was my day of salvation. Yesterday, this group and I prayed for many of you that are here today that are not saved. And I know their heart. If, 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 if it would require them leaving their diploma up here on this table, never putting it up on their wall, to see their mom or their dad or their brother or their sister or a dear friend come to Christ, they would leave it there in a minute and never even look back. Because eternity matters. And Jesus never fails. And Jesus will never fail any one of you. I don't care where he takes you. I don't care what he takes you through. He will not let you down. There will be times in the race when you can't take a step. And you know what he'll do? He'll come alongside you and pick you up and carry you until you can begin walking and running again. He is that faithful. He is that trustworthy. He is that reliable. He is that wonderful. He is everything you will ever need. I want us to bow our heads for just a moment. And I'm going to pray. And this morning in particular, I want to ask you a very simple question. This is for everyone. Have you ever trusted Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior? Have you ever turned from your sin, from your rebellion against God? To even say it another way, have you ever given Jesus all of your sorrow, all of your hurt, and all of your pain. He bore all of that on the cross so that you would not have to. He died and paid in full the penalty of your sin that all of your sins could be forgiven and that you could have God as your father and heaven as your future home. He did all of that for you. And listen to me, he'll even do more if you will let him. And so this morning, I know that you came here to celebrate this graduation but might it be that right now God's precious spirit is speaking to your heart and he is telling you, I love you. Jesus died for you. And I invite you today to make the greatest of all decisions, and that is to trust Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You say, Danny, you don't know what I've done. I don't, but he does. And he still loves you and he still died for you. He's that great of a Savior. He is that great of a Savior. Well, then what do I need to do? I'm going to voice a prayer. And listen to me. The issue is your heart. 
The issue is your heart. But I can tell you this on the authority of God's word. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you will simply voice this prayer in your heart to the Lord, I can promise you on the authority of his word, he will hear your prayer and he will save you. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for leaving heaven and coming to earth to be my savior. I thank you that you lived a sinless life. That you healed the sick and raised the dead. But I thank you most of all for loving me so much that you died on the cross that my sins could be forgiven. This morning, today, I confess to you that I am a sinner and that I need to be saved. And so I put all of my faith and trust in you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sin to become my Savior, to make heaven my future home, and to give me, beginning today, a brand new life and a brand new race. Thank you for loving me in that kind of a way. I now claim you to be my Savior. And Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that anyone having prayed that prayer today, you have heard it, you have answered, and you have saved. And I pray, Lord, that later today that they will look one of these graduates in the face who loves them so much and they will hug their neck and congratulate them. But then they would also say, and by the way, when Danny prayed that prayer during the service, I prayed it with him. And I now claim Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior and my King. Lord, what an incredible day of celebration that would be. And so, Lord, may they have that courage and that joy to share that. Lord, we love you. You're so faithful. And I pray, Lord, that your faithfulness will be seen clearly and strongly in the lives of these graduates from this day forward until you see them cross the finish line and proclaim to them, well done, my good and faithful servant. I ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.